This week's podcast is all about investing for your children's future. Welcome back to the Mortgages Money More podcast. I'm Craig Skelton and this week we're looking at the options you have when you're looking to invest for your children's future and who better than to get onto the podcast to talk about that is our resident, I'm going to call you that from now on, Jamie, I think, is that is that allowed on the podcast? Our resident financial advisor, Mr. Jamie Ben. how are you? Thanks, Craig. Yeah, I'm, I'm really well, thanks, mate. I'm, I'm really good. How are you? Yeah, good. Good, thank you. And thanks for agreeing to come on to the podcast because I did a solo podcast, a short one last week, just looking at financial education for children and what a few hints and tips for what parents can do to educate the children, to prepare them for financial management in the future. So I just thought, following on from that, just really flipping it back to the parents and looking at investing for your children's future. We're obviously going to talk about when to do without the options available. But one thing that sparked it for me, which I know I sent this through to you to, to have a look at, was that some recent research by Civitas, and it doesn't really matter who Civitas is, or if you know who Civitas is, but the main thing out of it, the big thing that came out of that was that a quarter, so 25% of all 20 to 34-year-olds are still living at home with their parents, which is, I think that the figure was a million more than two decades ago. And I was sort of like blown away by that, Jeremy. It is, it is, it's I think it's something that we've we've seen has been a, a problem and an increase in over the years. I don't know about you, but I didn't think we would we'd got to that twenty five percent margin, especially ranging up to the age of thirty four as well. Um, that that really did surprise me. Absolutely, it, it did me. It's just like thinking, which I understand. There's all the issues with housing and various things that are going on, but and there are options for. Like banker mum and dad's a massive thing now for helping people get onto the property ladder, their children get onto the property ladder, bank of grandparents as well is another mm-hmm. sort of thing. So, but the thing, the thing is, is like, that's okay for people right now. That's obviously something that you can look to do now, but it's like, well, what can I do before that? So if like my child, my son, my daughter, is a lot younger and nowhere near the, those ages of 20 to 34. What can I do to sort of like prepare for that? And I think that's the sort of thing with educating parents as well, mm-hmm. is that there are options out there that you can do now to put and to help your children save for a deposit for a house, which is basically that's what we're talking about. It is, yeah. And, and I, think, I, I think you're right because... If we looked back 20 to 34 years ago, you know, and, and spoke to parents at that time and said, you know, how much how much do you think you would have to save to send your, your kids to uni or to, to put towards the first deposit of the house? I don't know whether we'd have got figures like we're looking at at the moment, would we? I think after the cost of living and, and everything has, has gone up. So we're not asking anybody to have a crystal ball. Um but I think one thing that is, is always a key principle is that the earlier you start saving, the more chance you've got. I, I mean, 
there isn't a, a set in stone figure that we can say, yes, save this every month for up until age 18 and, and we can guarantee you'll be certain because it's just, it's not how life works. But if you can give yourself the best chance and start as early as possible, at least we can have more options than we would do if you uh, if you'd done nothing. Definitely. Well, I think it's the same with anything to do with financial advice. And when we've talked before about when's the right time to start a pension. Yeah. Today, that's the, that's the <laughs> that is the easiest uh, answer to that kind of thing. So I would say it's the same thing with this. That the earlier you start saving for your children, then the better the returns because we've talked before about compound interest, interest, and how that sort of scales got up quickly as well. So I think the thing is as well is there are options out there and we normally talk about this at the end of the podcast but it's just it's so important to get the right professional advice when you're looking at doing this sort of thing because it's okay doing something now and today which is what you should be doing however if that's the wrong path that's the wrong advice that's what the wrong way you're going to go well that can counter affect that really so doing something about it now the early start yes but speaking to someone like yourself or financial advisor will get you on the right path as soon as you look to start yeah i mean you you're spot on and i think really when when we kind of take a step back and you you look at things you do think you know quite rightly yes doing something is is better than nothing but as you say it's it's a long journey you know we're looking at with all investments we always look at a minimum of five years average around 10 and 10 or more well, with, with your children, if, if we're looking in the first year of their life, it, it's going to be until they're 18, most likely, until you start looking to even considering accessing funds. So that's going to be 18 years that you can either choose to, to maximise your returns and, and take advice, or you can you can take the risk of, of potentially not utilising that time effectively and, and being a little bit further behind than, than what you might be in what can be quite a high pressure situation at the time you know when we think of those first 18 years where you're maybe not having to to do quite as much in terms of monetary wise to to give to them other than just spending it on them instead i think it's really important that you utilize all of the time that you've got available otherwise we may be missing three or four years when you've actually been utilizing it for for a lot longer yeah, absolutely. Let's look at the different options and the kind of investment opportunities, because that's what we're talking about. It is an investment opportunity, even though it's a children's product, like ch- children's advice, there is, it's still at the end of the day, it's investing money for gains. So that's, mm-hmm. we need we need to look at. But what are the sort of, the main ones in terms of the main options for clients? And if you want to give it a quick overview of the names and then we'll, dissect them one by one if that's all right yeah of course so we've got a couple of different funds which you can look at usually a collective fund um and also investment bonds are utilized as well so they're probably a bit more mainstream in terms you might have come across as an adult investor we've then got um junior ices which you can use um nsni have got specific products for, for children um, and and depending on, on the tax situation, you can also look at um, personal pensions as well. So it's, it's quite a, a wide range of different products and, and they do offer very different attributes alongside them as well. So just actually, I think that gives us like the, there's a few 
different products on there, so funds, bonds, ISAs, um, pensions. There are sort of different options. So let's look at, let's just explain a little bit more about each one. So you sort of first of all said about funds, so collective funds. What's what's a collective fund? Yeah, so the, the first two are quite quite similar. So um, a collective fund is, is basically where we're entering a, a larger portfolio. So if if we had £100 that we wanted to invest, we're, we're going in with a fund that might be £10,000 that we put £100 towards. That means that we, own, we have a proportion of that fund and therefore we can diversify a lot further with £10,000 than we could do with £100. So that's a way of helping you spread and, and mitigate risk and, and get as fingers in it as wide as possible. I suppose with with without putting a, a huge sum in yourself. Okay, so that makes it so. That's the sort of fun side of things. What else? What was the, the next one that you talked about? So that's investment bonds, which are, are are very similar, to be quite honest. But they often use collective funds as part of it, but they have a slightly different tax treatment. So any potential trusts that that were kind of sat there in the background before we can utilise those and they can be kept or placed in a trust as part of the investment bond. So, um, again, it's it's an, another use of the collective funds but with a different tax treatment. Right, okay. I'm guessing that's like quite a key benefit to the, to the investment bonds then. That's right. I mean, it depends on the, the parent's position a lot of the time and, and what tax is paid and, and how it's paid already. Um, so... The two different ways that we can utilise a very similar product, but we can get as many tax benefits from it at the same time. Right. Okay. That's fine. So I'm getting the funds and the bonds kind of thing. So you also then said next about ISAs. So there's ISAs, junior ISAs. What's, explain a little bit more about those. Yeah. So um, probably most of the listeners have heard of ISAs before. A junior ISA is exactly the same. It, it's just a, a slightly different um, amount that you can consider using in a junior ISA. So this current tax year that we're in, uh, it's currently £9,000 um, that you can put into a, a junior ISA over the course of the 12-month tax year. And it, it means that you can also inherit the full tax-free allowance and that will carry forward for them. So it will always remain in tax-free funds as long as it remains in the ISA. If your child's slightly older, so, you know, 16, 17, they can also have a cash ISA by this age as well, which, again, opens up the amount that we can look to invest further. So that means that we can push that £9,000 up to £20,000 this year as well. Right, okay. And that, obviously, with ISAs, it's looking at an annual, making sure you keep, like I say, people will know what ISAs are. It's just then understanding what you can put in when, what the difference with the products are and that sort of thing in terms of what's a junior ISA, cash ISA and that sort of thing. Because obviously, from what you sort of said there, from a child, the difference between a children's, like a junior ISA and a normal cash ISA is just the funds that you can put in there, the maximum that you can invest. Yeah, I mean, it's that's the the, the biggest key, obviously, for, for people looking at trying to retain as much as they can. And, and obviously, those with higher incomes as well, it's, it is tax efficiency can, can be a real big saving in, in their pocket too. So it, it's always something we've got to consider if, if it's not utilised already. Okay, excellent. You sort of said then next, NSI, which is the National Savings and Investments. So what's sort of things offered by National Savings and Investments? They do offer quite a, a few different products, really. 
um, when it comes to children. The, obviously, one of the most famous products they offer is the Premium Bonds, which is also available for children as well. They also do the, their own ices. Um, they do junior ices through NSNI too. And alongside that, you, you'll find that anything that's going to be offered with any type of government incentive is, is often done with the, through the NSNI for kids especially. So you've, you've got those three kind of products you can access straight away, plus a kind of revolving door of products that they, they often open and close depending on the time of year, which are usually more of a fixed interest situation. Right, okay. And I'm understanding the various things, because one thing you sort of said, which just threw a bit of a curveball for me, was personal pension. And like, you'd, and it's yeah. not something you automatically think of when you're thinking, children, personal pension? And that's from my own point of view, because it wasn't until, <clears throat> like, I was, I saw my personal pension as soon as I started working, earning money. It's not something that you ever talk about from a child's point of view. And that sort of, so do you want me to explain a bit more of that? Because that's a pretty unknown thing in the marketplace. Yeah, you're right, it is. And I suppose it's another example of why it's always good to, to speak to somebody that, that knows all the options out there too. Because it's very rare that I've ever spoken to, to somebody not in the market that, that knows we can do personal pensions. So you're limited to your contributions, but, but there's no minimum age for a pension. So we can contribute up to just over three and a half thousand pounds, three thousand six hundred pounds a year. And again, it's it, it would also depend on the, the situation of the parent. So if we'd maybe started to utilize things like the ISA, the NSNI accounts, we had some kind of collective fund available. The pension is just another form of tax allowance that we can use to our benefit as well. So it, it's about trying to utilize all the tax wrappers that we can but at the same time building up a, a pension is is a great start for for a a child coming up to employment and obviously having that knowledge while going in understanding the importance of it and despite it not being you know 20 30,000 pounds being paid into a pension year on year to to pay that 3,600 pounds in consistently until they're 18 it's going to give them a, a fantastic start to a pension that that you know certainly no child I know at eighteen would have had. No, definitely not. And I think that's a, again going back to what I talked about at the start. Of, the sooner you start, the the obviously the more the gains starting to to impact on interest on interest and all and all the rest of it compound interest. So I think like. From what you sort of saying, so there are options available, and we've given a brief over there, view, sorry, an overview there, Jamie, of what options are. Mm -hmm. I think it just goes back to the same thing again of taking advice, isn't it? It's not it's something you can do yourself. Obviously, you can set up a juniorizer and just start paying it in and, and doing those mm -hmm. sorts of things, but or a cash ISA. But it's when you look back at right today, as we sit here and look at the stats, the average. First time buyer needs sixty one thousand pounds deposit for a home. Now that does fluctuate, obviously, up and down the country, because we didn't even talk about this. The stats in terms of up and down the country with regards to people living at home, because it does vary quite quite a lot. When you've got fourteen percent of, we talked about a quarter of twenty to thirty four year olds still living at home. Mm -hmm. 
when you look at the northeast of England, that's just fourteen percent. Yorkshire, Yorkshire Humber, as it as it says on the report, mm-hmm. is seventeen percent. But then you look at London, forty-one yeah. percent. Wow! Like wow. 41%, four out of 10, 20, 34 year olds are still living at home in London, which is mm. a massive thing. Obviously, the deposit needs to be more in London, depends on what their aspirations, whether they want to live in London still or move away or whatever. But it's just doing something today to give your child options in the future that's going to give them a, a chance to get on the property ladder or basically move out, which is the main, yeah. which is the main yeah. thing. That, that's the thing. So... But going back to this, and what my point was, is that I think it's just so important to speak to a financial advisor to understand what the options are, what's right for you. Because you you talked there, Jamie, about the different options and the different products, but it might be a bit of that for what for, for, for a certain person it could be, well, you do this, you also do this, you do a bit of that. But another person it could be, well, this is what you do kind of thing. So mm-hmm. it's just so important to get advice right from the start. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more, Craig. And, you know, especially your point in respect to the, the different options and the options that, that we give our clients as well, um, they're, they're never the same. You know, I think you could probably have identical twins sit down and, and still find a difference in the solution that we, we came up with, depending on their own personal goals and aspirations and that for the family too. So there, there is a route that will suit you best. And finding that route maybe from a monetary point of view it will make a a big difference for you but maybe also from a stress point of view from a time point of view from a worried about performance of the fund whatever it may be the advantage of of seeking a professional's advice for a long-term investment have been seen time and time again so why wouldn't you do the same for your children no absolutely and i think like i say you just dealing with it today for for the future really and I get that cost of living is going up and all those sort of things that's happening in the market and in the world right this second but it's also about investing for your child's future as well and, and making sure that they're fully supported and being able to deal with them so we talked about education last week mm-hmm. it's then now giving them those the products and things like that to talk about that because then if you have got those products and you have talk to a financial advisor about the different things and you've got a collective fund for them or you've got a junior rise and they're like you can talk to the child about it so if they feel involved with it as well which will help with their education that's it and, and there's nothing there's nothing better than you know to to show yeah. exactly what it is that you've done and, and how you've you've lived your your, your words as what you said that they should do and, and go well actually i've been doing this since you were born and and this is what's happened and this is how it's changed and actually when you were three it took this little dip and then when you were five it zoomed up and it was double whatever it was and it's about opening those financial conversations that so many parents struggle with because you don't want to tell your child what you're getting paid and how much tax comes off it and and everything else because it might skew their view in the world or whatever reason it may be this is their money and they're more likely to take an interest in it when they've got that real attachment to it as well. Jamie, anything we've missed in terms of options and opportunities to invest in for your children? Uh, I don't think so, no. I think I, I think that's a, a good enough kind of background to give you an idea of what to look at. And, you know, as we've stressed the whole time, if you've got any any thoughts, always just have a, have a chat to a professional 
run your you know run your ideas by them and um i'm sure it'll be quite quickly uh given an idea of what's the best route to move forward definitely jamie thank you so much for your time thanks for your input again thanks for your honesty and being now classed as the resident financial yeah. advisor on the podcast and yeah. i'm sure you're going to be back for more exciting topics in the world of financial services it sounds like it yeah it sounds like it. i'm gonna i'm gonna get that on a business card though <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> well thanks jamie thanks very much for your time thanks craig